0: You are listening to an HD Smartcast original.
1: What comes to your mind when I say Tibet? The beautiful Himalayan mountains? The Dalai Lama, or the famous movie Seven Years in Tibet. There are so many books and movies about Tibet. No doubt they're wonderful, but they're usually not from a Tibetan's perspective. And I need to say this, we're so much more than momos and singing bowls. I don't even confirm if singing bowls are a Tibetan thing. To give you that authentic sense of what Tibet is and what our culture truly is like, we are here once again with season two of Waking Up Closer to Tibet. Hi, I am Fenzhen. I am so many things professionally, but at my very core, I am a Tibetan. Join me in this brand new season as I speak to some of the most celebrated Tibetan names who know Tibet in their own unique ways. Ten marvelous episodes with five amazing guests. In this season, I will be having the privilege of being in conversation with His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama, Geshe Thupten Jimpa, Geshe Dorji Damdo, Chung, and Reka Gava. So don't forget to tune in every Wednesday as we get bit by bit, Closer to Tibet. Dashidili and welcome. I hope all of you are doing well and are taking good care of yourselves because, I mean, we live in an age where hustle culture is touted um, and this hustle culture um, can get very toxic at times. Um, It can be bad for us. It is imperative for us to take care of our body and mind. To give us more insights on how we can master our mind for happiness, we have our esteemed guest for today, Wanda geshi Geshe Dorji Damdul. I am so thrilled and honored to welcome Geshe La on Waking Up Closure to Tibet. Wonderable Geshe Dorji Damdul is the director of Tibet House in New Delhi, which is the cultural center of His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama. In 1988, Geshe Dorji Damdul joined the Institute of Buddhist Dialectics in Dharamshala for formal studies in Buddhist logic, philosophy, and epistemology. After 15 years of study in Buddhist philosophy, he finished his Geshi Lharampa degree, a PhD, in 2002 from Drepung Losling Monastic University. He then joined the Yume Tantric School for Tantric Studies. In 2003, the Office of His Holiness the 14th Dalai Lama sent him to Cambridge University in England for proficiency English studies, and then he was a Visiting fellow at Gerchen College um, at Cambridge University, he is appointed as the official translator to His Holiness. Um, he's been the official translator for His Holiness since 2005, and at the same time, he has been, um, you know, involved in doing written translations of many texts from Tibetan into English. There's so much that um, Geshe-la has done. So many wonderful, wonderful projects that. He's been a part of, and um, as assigned by the Office of His Holiness uh, the Dalai Lama, Geshila visited the US in 2008 to work with Professor Paul Ekman, um, a world renowned psychologist um, who uh, is one of the pioneers of the science of microfacial expression. So I am so excited and honored to have Geshila on Waking Up Closer to Tibet. <music> Welcome to CDT, venerable Geshe Dorji Damdullah. I am elated to welcome you today. Since this show is about everything Tibet and Tibetans, I had to have you on. Now, homo sapiens as we are, we have uh, made some of the greatest inventions in the world today. We've launched rockets into space. We've perhaps made our everyday lives easier. We are intelligent, yet deeply troubled emotionally. So our true potential unlocks when we master our minds, isn't it, Geshalar? What is your take on this? How can we master our troubled minds in the model world?
2: Thank you, Mr. Sharullah, and thank you, Hindustan Times, all the viewers. Uh, that is uh, one of the major things that we need to as home seconds take note of, particularly today. 0.3 million years ago, the Homo sapiens came into existence on this earth. And uh, the fact is that His Holiness the Dalai Lama always uh, tells the world that we have body and we have the mind. And um, in the olden times, people, the material development was so less, because of this, people are so heavily dependent on each other for material uh, facilities. And because of this dependency, excessive dependency on each other, people are emotionally connected. So we see that whenever there are some problems, um, they're always uh, the people from the neighborhood, they come help you. Uh, I'm sure that this was the case for almost all over the world, whichever country one is from. I remember that the um, in my locality of Tibet, there, if one family was to uh, create the New Year celebration, the, the snacks to make the snacks, then they, all the people, they from the neighborhood, everybody will um, have at least one representative coming from one family uh, to be of help. To their family, and then your job is just to provide them food and uh, provide them some the say the uh, what homemade alcohol or the wine for the people to enjoy, and that there is a spirit of the oneness of the whole village. That is something amazing. Likewise, when the uh, they during the harvest time, again say the one family, uh, they are going to do the the harvestings of. And the crops. And everyone from the, the neighborhood, they will join you. They know that it is your time. And then the, the next day, you will be a part of the group to support any of the family. It's amazing. So this is something today is totally unheard of. <laughs> you even, even to speak to say for example you want to you want to get some advice. You're a little feeling unhappy. You go to get a counsel You have to pay. That is... Very different, so this is very unfortunate. So back to the main point, that is, Holiness the Dalai Lama, um, oftentimes shares with people that we have body and we have mind. For the body, we need material progress, and His Holiness is never saying that we need to focus on the mental progress. We don't have to focus on the material. Material is bad. He never says this. He's extremely pragmatic and um, very realistic. Uh, saying that we have body, given that we have body and mind, for the body, we require material development. For the mind, we require spiritual development, development of the heart. So the combination can make the individual extremely successful and the real growth and in fact, the, the measure, the mark of the success of the civilization um, the, can be seen in the light of how successful a civilization is pertaining to the development of the materials and the heart. So where, today what happens is that there's a tremendous development pertaining to the, the materials. Look at the technology. That's amazing. Within the last 20 years such a, say, the Big Bang. It's massive. Explosion of internet connectivity and everything simply revolutionized through the digital world. So what I'm saying is that there's a tremendous development materially, but what about the heart? It doesn't guarantee that the heart is going to be developed alongside Automatically, as the material development is seen. So, for that matter, given that the development hardest the me there's so much a problem of tension, depression, anxiety, anguish, and so forth. This very unfortunate. It's for this reason that the both are required. So, how to tame the mind? Mm-hmm. How to control the mind? This question. The point is that the our mind has a tremendous capacity. So, broadly speaking, the. Uh, say, for example, if really to, if you really want to enjoy a good picnic with your family members or with your friends, we need to have a proper planning. Whether or not it's going to rain. If it rains, what are the things required? Uh, say some extra guests are coming. Then what is the preparation? So all these things require tremendous cognitive activity of your mind words, your mind should be extremely active cognitively to see the broadness of the reality, to see the depth of the reality, and then also that the uh, at the same time, uh, this although you have a tremendous cognitive ability there, but you don't have the heart, so you always charge money for whatever, say the uh, the sharing that you do. So for that matter, the moment you charge somebody just even to share your thoughts, your Mm. knowledge, even just for that purpose, if you keep charging, that deep inside you, you are depriving yourself of a profound happiness within you. The happiness, joy of sharing, that is what you are lacking. So the point is that uh, how to to tame the mind. First, we have to know how the mind operates. And, And before this, we need to ask, What are you seeking? What do you want? So usually, uh, people. Some of my friends, and they when I meet them separately, then they would bring their own friends and tell them, "Oh, we have Vishila there in Tibet House in Delhi, and the in future whenever you are in Delhi, please make sure that you attend his classes." It's so boring for me to hear that all the time. So what (laughs) what I tell them is that what I tell them is that okay. When you, Whenever you pay visit to, to, to Delhi, please do visit Tibet House, not for a class, for a cup of tea with me. Okay. Or for a cup of tea. And just for sharing, you share your thoughts, I learn from you. I share my thoughts, you learn from me. So this is how we have to, you know, I say, enjoy our life. So what I'm saying is that we need two things. One is, let's say, the, to bring about material development, we require tremendous cognitive ability to see how the material development can be made. Likewise, to develop the, the heart, the, to develop the heart or the spiritual side, we need again this expansion of a heart. So, uh, to, to make sure that finally the purpose is that, that we as a human being, what do we seek? We seek two things. We seek two things want to stay away from the fears of life for example COVID-19 at the initial outbreak of the COVID there's so much of fear and we get a lot of information from everywhere saying that they, you feel the feeling of getting a feeling of uncertainty uncertainty of life where to you go wherever you go there's a COVID there so and the, there's so much of fear there nobody wants a fear and this is a reality not only for the males not only for the females, not only for the Buddhists, not only for the, the, the Muslims, Hindus, Jains, Christians, Bahis, the Parsis, not only for the non, non-believers also. It, it holds true across the world of the humanity, which means that we seek to stay away from miseries, number one. Number two, we seek happiness and what degree of happiness do you want? 10%, 20%, 100%, possible, 100%. Given that these are two things everybody is seeking. This is, this is the universal fact, universal truth. Everybody is seeking these two things. So these two things somehow are related to the body and the mind. For the body, we need a material progress. For the mind, for example, say the ill health. We have to go to hospital. So this, simply by buddham, charan, man, gachami, or ilham, no, go away. So for that, we need the hospital. We need material progress. For example, I lost my mother during her the failed child delivery. Okay. Because of the lack of the material development. facilities, material facilities. Mm-hmm. So therefore, oh, please, Buddha, help. No, this will not happen. Even the Buddha himself lost his mother when he was just seven days old. Absolutely, yeah. So it means that there's one thing which is undeniable fact. Material development is no doubt very important thing that we need to keep note of. Then on the other side, you also have the mind. When somebody smiles at you, you feel happy. Somebody frowns at you. You are unhappy. happy. There's nothing to do with the material things. It's all about your emotional mm-hmm. well-being. So with emotions... So, for that matter, we need the emotional development. So, his soul calls it as emotion, the, the hygiene of the emotion. Mm. So, his holiness is so precise mm. that with human beings, we need two things material development mm. and mm. development of the heart. These two are the, required. So, very important. learn if you control your mind, how to bring about these two things in unison. Mm. That is a mark of the success of the civilization. This civilization, um, the, at all times, at any place, uh, this civilization, we can take, we can see that as a mark of success and the pride of ourselves to lead such an amazing civilization. Otherwise, look at today: so much wars happening unnecessarily, mm-hmm. creating mm-hmm. imposing problems for, for, example, Russia, unnecessarily invading Ukraine, and in the process, there is uh, the the leader. Doesn't know that your own people are suffering. I meet Russians, my very good friends. They say that we are suffering terribly because we are under so much of the, the sanctions so from brilliant. all over the world. So our institution, not, we are not getting funds from outside anymore now because of the sanctions. So Russian people are suffering, Ukraine people are suffering. Why should you do that? It's all because of the lack of the control of your mind. True, true, true. Because of the, so this is where, for example, today His, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. If he is being, uh, say, the, if Tibet is independent, I would say, if Tibet is independent, no doubt, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, be the leading leader in the world, to teach the world how to live in the spirit of dialogue, how to live in the spirit of peace, not in the spirit of war. So this is where we need to tame our mind. This is so so important. Yeah,
1: certainly, certainly, Keshilam, because the reparations after the war, I mean, the consequences, it's it's massive. I mean, so many lives were affected, and you know, as uh, you were quoting uh, His Holiness the Fourteenth Dalai Lama, right? I think His Holiness has um, always said that you know, if you look at uh, the planet Earth it looks like a really beautiful blue planet and we look like tiny little dots from above right and uh, you draw a line on the soil and you say this is our country this is ours and this is that this is where our you know the belongingness Roots from, and that's where all the um, problems arise. So there is no problem of having the sense of belongingness, but if you're you're having um, you know qualms about, it, if you have quarrels about it, then there is a problem. So I think that is very true. Now, um, major Tibetan Buddhist texts they were translated from Pali, Prakrit, or Sanskrit, right? And um, precious Indian masters they traveled to Tibet and formulated the tibetan script because tibetan language was an oral language before that right so to transmit the buddhist teachings they formulated the tibetan script it is believed that tibetan language is one of the most adept languages to actually study buddhism right so Geshila, please enlighten us about the story behind the creation of tibetan language and how has it evolved over the course of years? Because I'm sure now from you know hundreds and hundreds of years, the language has evolved into different categories, right? So could you please enlighten us a little bit about that?
2: Okay, uh, this is again, a very interesting topic uh, for a civilization to really flourish and thrive. The knowledge that one has acquired that can be accumulated if the accumulation of the knowledge is happening, then the civilization really thrives. Whereas the accumulation is not happening, that's always starting from the, the, the scratch. Every time, then there's no accumulation happening. Mm-hmm. And now how can we expect to have the accumulation of the, the culture? And so the, the knowledge, it's, the language plays a very important role. And particularly the scripts. The scripts and the, the language. Um, the um, safe where, as you indicated, that the uh, scripts, of course the oral language and the script of the tomb, anywhere in the world. so it is always in succession. First mm-hmm. the oral language and then followed later uh, to be invented a script to symbolize this, the oral language. And with this language, language is like the container and the uh, information and the culture. So these are like the contents and um, the web, the language is very rich, then these contents uh, can be the nuances of the contents, the sophistications of the contents, the vastness, the depth can be contained in this container of the language, particularly with the script. It can be contained, preserved, and this is how the civilization keeps growing. Not just say the, the civilization is happening horizontally, but it's actually growing in terms of the sophistication of the thought processes, cognitive thought processes, effective thought processes, the governance, and uh, the so forth. Uh, so with this, they, they pertain to the twin language, um, it, is, it is believed that before the invention of the current Tibetan language, the Tibetan, I would say Tibetan script, mm. Tibetan language existed way before the invention of the script, but it is believed that uh, there already existed a Tibetan script before the, the invention of this particular script. Oh, That, okay. uh, that script is referred to as the Mariuk. Oh, he, wow. he okay. Before Buddhism came to Tibet.
0: Hmm.
2: But in the 7th century AD, uh, King Chisung the Tibetan king, 33rd Tibetan king, he happened to be extremely visionary. And uh, of course, the Tibetans believe him to, to be the reincarnation of the Buddha of compassion. But what is the case? From the historical perspective, he happened to be a very brilliant and extremely visionary king. And he sent, let's say, the, a group of the young uh, Tibetans, um, particularly the, the one who invented this, the, the current Tibetan script, um, uh, Kimi who was one of his ministers, along with other other boys. Okay. Then the, that was in 7th century, A.D. So this Kimi he was given a very clear instruction. You go to India... You learn the hidden culture, particularly the literary culture. Literal culture of Buddhism, the language, grammar, and so forth. And eventually you have to invent the script to really say to convey the language, spoken language that depends already have. So with this, there was in 7th century AD, this Tibetan great scholar plus the minister of the, the then king, Timi Sambata, he then, he along with his and the colleagues or friends, went to India, learned everything. Then on the basis of the Devanagri script, he invented the current Tibetan script. So the current Tibetan script, we see that how it works mm-hmm. and how the, mm-hmm. the Devanagri scripts work they are very similar for example say the same in the different there is mm-hmm. ka, ka, ga, ghana. in tibetan it is very similar mm. that is taken out because to suit the tibetan, language. Mm-hmm. So, so the tibetan language otherwise is very similar very similar and even the script they're also very similar script and the alphabets, they were all they're all very similar.
0: Hmm. Then
2: the, uh, this one part, and uh, the King, Deser, king Gambo, the hmm. this King Swanson Gampo, the seventh century AD. This king, the primary purpose behind invention of this uh, the Tibetan script, which is being used today, is for to uh, for the purpose of let's say, the importing important, extremely sophisticated culture of India. That is the Buddhist philosophy, Buddhist psychology, Buddhist metaphysics, Buddhist epistemology, Buddhist logic. So to import all these extremely sophisticated thought processes I I as the, the, something as a, the, the ground to make things feasible. So mm, he mm, assigned mm. his minister to invent the Tibetan script to accommodate, to accommodate, uh, for uh, to make sure that all these cultures are important to Tibetan successfully. Mm. And the, his holiness, the Dalai Lama, puts it so beautifully that this Tibetan king, the 33rd Tibetan king, came to Songsingapo, he was indeed very smart. Mm. And uh, his souls will say that as a nation, There are three things which are very important. One, people should eat something. People should wear something. Something decent, something elegant. And people should have a brilliant thinking. Mm. So these thought processes. So the first two for your body related and the other for your mind too. So for that matter, this king just explore around uh, the the neighborhood, neighborhood kingdoms or the, the countries. Then he found that the Mongolia happened to have a very elegant dress. So he copied the Mongolian dress for the Tibetans. So, oh, okay. okay. so the Tibetans, see the dress is primarily copied from Mongolians. Very elegant. Okay. Very elegant. And then the, for the food, he discovered that Chinese they have very good food. Mm-hmm. So he copied the food from China. So okay. we have today Momo, mein. all these things are copied from Chinese. <laughs> we don't really have good food. Samba, we are known for Samba, right? right? We have just Samba, that's, that's it. So now mm. the, the Tibetans got the, the credit for the Momo, mein, mm. and stuff. These are all copied from the the, the Chinese. Mm-hmm. And whereas it is not just sufficient, you are not a dog, you are not an animal. Mm-hmm. The animal means uh, you need uh, something to keep you warm and then the food, that's it. Are you a human being, and particularly mm. as a the, the king, of course, the being the, the king of the kingdom mm. has a huge responsibility for the development of the kingdom. Dogs and cats they don't think about the development, it's just for the survival. But for the as a kingdom, as a kingdom, you you should uh, think of the development of the kingdom for that matter. Thought process required. So this thought process he again explored, he found that this is what be the best this is what you can best get from india so he he imported um, buddhism buddhist philosophy psychology and the the philosophy psychology metaphysics epistemology and logic from india not from china Hmm. China already had buddhism there but he's very smart this king was very smart uh, knowing that This this thought process, the original source is India, not China. From China. That's true. Mm -hmm. The original thing is the food. Food we copied from China. But the the thought processes, original thought process came from the India, the Lord Buddha. Lord Buddha, he became Buddha in India, not in China, not elsewhere. Mm -hmm. In Mm -hmm. India. So he he promulgated, he disseminated his brilliant thought processes in India, from India. So we must import it from India. So this is how he imported all these thought processes from India and connected to that invention of the the script in order to accommodate those thought processes which he was thinking of importing from India. So the the language, the script, and the alphabets, they were invented to accommodate uh, the uh, the, the Buddhist philosophy and Buddhist studies from India. Mm -hmm. So this is one part. Then the um, then uh, comes eighth century. Eighth century, the Tibetan king Tisong Desen mm-hmm. again he happened to be again amazing king, and the who was able to say um, invite a great Indian master Bodhisattva Chandrakirta. So the seventh century, the Tibetan king Songtsen Gambo, he in fact like planted the seed of Buddhism in Tibet. Then in 8th century A.D., the Tibetan king Tisong what he did was that he germinated the seed, seed which was planted by the earlier Tibetan king, the earlier Tibetan king Gambo. Mm-hmm. He germinated that by way of inviting the, the great Indian master, Bodhisattva Shantrakshita, who himself was a great philosopher, a mm-hmm. great logician, And uh, the Tibetan king then, 8th century AD, Huber's uh, thinking of encouraging the youngsters the mm. to learn Buddhism through Sanskrit. And this great Indian master, Bodhisattva Shantarak advised the king that there's no point for the Tibetans to learn Sanskrit. Sanskrit in the first place, Sanskrit itself is a very sophisticated language. Very, very, yes. Which, and that you are not learning this in a native, in a native place. Mm. You are learning it in a foreign place, mm-hmm. which means that the what you learn, how you learn, how much you learn in the native place is going to the time taken would be like four, five, ten times if you learn mm-hmm. that in a foreign country, foreign land. So better uh, you translate this all the text into Tibetan. Mm-hmm.
0: So
2: with this advice, uh, Tibetan king initiated whole university-like departments. Mm-hmm departments for the the translation in fact he started the samye monastery as a whole university to with the several departments one the department of the translation other the department of the, the meditative i say the trainings and so forth there's uh, about six or seven main departments established and mm-hmm. the, one of the major focus was on the translation so, a major word was translated from, as you said, Sanskrit, Pali, and the Prakriti from uh, the Buddhism. What you find in these languages into Tibetan language. Mm-hmm. So this was one major task, and because of this, uh, the standardization of the vocabularies to convey the sophisticated, the concepts and the, the nuanced uh, philosophical insights. Uh, to convey this meaningfully, the standardization happened in there since then, and then the the translation that's just amazingly refined. So uh, that was in the 8th century AD, and then they uh, and today we see that we do see um, the one thing over the Tibetan language. We do see a discrepancy between the the spoken lay yes. person vernacular language mm-hmm. language and the written divine language, there's not a slight difference here. This difference is all because that the spoken is spoken which existed since before mm-hmm. Buddhism came into Tibet, mm-hmm. but this literary language
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, used to convey this rich philosophical and the psychological the, the contents into this language, so that forms the literary language. And this literary language came after uh, the importing Buddhism to Tibet. And because of which, we see that the literary language, language to convey this, the subject a sophisticated subject of the philosophy and so forth, this is so rich and extremely standardised and nuanced, that ordinary people, if you're not exposed to the studies of the philosophy mm-hmm. and the psychology, and mm-hmm. these words, um, they, they are totally alien. To mm-hmm. even to a Tibetan who is otherwise so good in the vernacular spoken and the written Tibetan. So there's a slight difference in the Tibetan language within the literary language and the vernacular spoken language. The two are there. True, true. But, That's uh, a very yeah. So the the point is that the Tibetans they were able to and of course over the years, as you said, over the years. Um, the it was in the ninth century or say between eighth and ninth century, again a new another Tibetan king. Okay. So there okay. since that the Buddhism already uh, the seed was planted and already germinated. So hmm. again, um the under the the under the auspices of this king, again the uh, say the a little bit of uh, say the, the improvisation hmm. of the Tibetan language uh, took place, which means a little bit of, say, the reformulation of the slight changes here and there was introduced in the Tibetan scripts. And the Tibetan uh, the spoken as well pertain to the, the literary aspect
1: true. It's really fascinating, Geshila. I mean, sometimes when I think about all this, think about people of the past, they were so advanced and they took these arduous journeys, especially precious masters from India, right? Like Padmasambhava, Shanta Rakshita, traveling all the way. Imagine they didn't have the technology. Uh, They could just walk barefoot. A lot of them actually did, right? They traveled so many miles just to serve people. And imagine when these masters Masters Must have actually landed in Tibet Like watching really different Kind of people Of course, facially, superficially uh, In terms of language, in terms of culture You find yourself a bit of like An alien, right? And then, you know, completely Dissolving beautifully into The culture, communicating With them, helping them It's just amazing when we think about This, what people have done in the past It always, always amazes me so, Yeshila, you've been appointed as the official interpreter or principal translator for His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama, since 2005, right? Um, I'm sure your experience has been very special. What was it truly like?
2: Um, in fact, uh, to be very honest, uh, for me to be connected or to be associated um, in the capacity as the translator of His Holiness, it was, I would say, purely accidental. okay. There's nothing that I'm great. It's all purely accidental. And I don't want to go into too, into de- too detail about okay. what happened. Absolutely. But what, is, what are my observations pertaining to, you know, observations of experience pertaining to to be close, to, to have got the opportunity to be close mm-hmm. to experience? Mm-hmm. Um, the one is that the... Um, the, his illness is compassion. That is not just spoken compassion. This is a compassion that exudes from his being. This is so so precious. In fact, I remember many incidents. One, I think it was in, I don't remember too well, whether it's Costa Rica or El Salvador. I think Costa Rica, I, I'm not too sure. Okay. The, um, the finance minister hosted a lunch in hmm. the forum, his holiness and the entourage. And we were all there and the for the state luncheon, of course, extremely formal. And the the people who serve um, the meals and when the uh, when the guests we were having the his holiness and the his entourage having the meals along with the finance minister and his group. Um, all the waiters, the world assigned just the, making sure to attend to whatever is required. Mm. It is a very formal setting. Then after the um, after the meal, the finance minister requested his holiness if he and his group can have a photograph with his holiness. And then his son said, yes, 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 yes. And then the 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 finance minister um, his wife and his officials, they were all there, and his Andre also there. And then all the, the people who serve food, they were all sitting on the side. and his son said, "Why are you not coming? And why are you not coming? And they all remain so hesitant, perhaps perhaps all the last many years that they were serving in the capacity as the helper server, it never happened. So it was like a sh- shock for them. Okay, what? His own is, is inviting us to be in the photograph, but are we allowed, not allowed, but on the, the, the say, the, from the government protocol wise. Allowed. But His own very insistent come, come, you all come, you all come. So beautiful. It's amazing. And then. Really they, sweet. That's very, very kind. Of, kind of choice mm-hmm. because our the main guest he is like insisting that he he's showing joy to invite you. So, and the, the, the even the finance minister indicated that, come, come, come. And then they all joined. And particularly, there was one lady, I remember, hmm. um, who must be in her 40s or 50s. And uh, she was, a little you know, like the uneasy, cautious, but they were allowed. He sort of sensed that and he sort of suggests Pull this lady and put his own his arm around her. Oh, okay. Around her, and literally, this lady was crying. Literally. This
1: Anybody crying. would. I mean, Anybody. one would be overjoyed, right? Yeah. To, to have that opportunity. So
2: this is the, the love that he exudes. Not hmm. just he talks. He talks, he talks, and also he exudes his love in digital life. This is something so amazing. I learned I learned all this compassion from the very sophisticated good books like these for all these many years. But I've seen, I have learned this in example, in example from somebody who otherwise would be, in a, who otherwise is in a position where you just, just, you know, show your arrogance. No, this is so different, so precious. Mm. Number two, that the, um, uh, he always thinks about how to benefit others. This is again another thing that where he finds benefit, it doesn't matter whether he is with the small group, whether he is with the very poor people. It doesn't matter. He would just spend his time there and his uh, the attendants they have to constantly, you know, go and remind his holiness. Oh, your holiness, the flight is, <laughs> we, we, is the
0: getting flight late. Is
2: <laughs> We're getting late for the flight and his mm-hmm. one's just paying no heat. As long as the benefit is there happening, and it doesn't matter mm-hmm. whether it's a say um, the big grand setting or a simple school or a ordinary or person, it doesn't matter. Whether it's a help, his holiness just relaxes and he doesn't care of anything else. Where there's no benefit, even if it's a very formal setting, grand gathering, his owners just wants to leave the place. Earlier, the better.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay.
2: Another thing that I've noticed was that that his is really is working help hmm. the world, not only just okay, this is a problem on the spot. No proper planning, long-term planning to help the world. And his students believe that it is the education, education, education of the brain and the education of the heart. Both are required. And as of now, education is brain is not, um, we are not deprived of the education of the brain, but education of the heart for sure is what is being lacking. And oftentimes um, during his students' public addresses, the experts, specialists from the different from the different disciplines like social workers medical experts or education is they will ask one question one common question which is that while the modern education while the modern education is while the modern education is there at its peak as peak which is otherwise meant for the benefit of the humanity but the, the humanity the peace of the peace Everything is all declining, the joy, the happiness of the world is declining, where we're going wrong. This question asked um, the oftentimes to his Holiness by the experts from different disciplines. And his holiness, without doubt, without second thought, he will say that it's all because of our education um, deprived of yeah. the the uh, the provision to educate the hearts of the people. That is what is lacking. So with this, it's not just that he discovers where we are, the short of, but he's actually thinking of how to fix it. So in this connection, his ownness, since long time ago, since many years ago, um, the, his ownness was, you know, uh, his own started to talk about the universal ethics. And then not only keeping this as, a, as a, some idea, and by the way, his ownness is extremely visionary, this is one thing that we need to know so the vision for the world whole world not only for Tibet not only for the but for Buddhism but for the world so he says that today we need to emphasize on so universal ethics ethics which is acceptable to all the people across the globe across mm-hmm. the world of humanity That's
0: mm-hmm. true
2: you uh, Be the same whether you are believer or non-believer, whether you're male, female, whether you're from this group, that group, everybody should be acceptable to everyone. This he calls as universal ethics. And say the and not only living there. The first he was thinking he was thinking of that the world should there should be a different order, more peaceful order of the world. For this, where where we are going wrong, not to have this is because of the lacking the, edu- the education of the heart. And the next step, this requires the universal ethics to be taught in the education uh, the curriculum. And then he saw us now take the actual steps that he encouraged uh, the various universities, various institutions, and the, finally, Emory University. With the one great, great, great teacher, um, the professor Lawson um, as a professor there in Emory University, USA. So, they univers- Emory University took charge of this vision of its Holiness to be uh, the disseminated worldwide, and they started the education curriculum, which they call as C learning, social, okay. emotional, ethical learning. So now. Uh, this was actually what is soon launched in 2014, if I'm not wrong. 14, it was launched internationally, and uh, the Emory University USA is able to now provide this the curriculum to any institution from every, anywhere in the world. Anybody who is interested, uh, the materials are provided free of cost, and the trainings are provided free of cost. Um, in order to educate the heart of the people. Because the world today is suffering because of not successful leaders. Mm-hmm. Leaders who do not have the vision, who do not have the heart, who, do, who, who could not see the future, are simply seeing the immediate benefit and so forth, that they just end up in wars. So, given that these leaders, they come from the, the, the youth, from the say the today's leader came from the young child 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and leaders 50 years later is going to is no doubt a young boy or a young girl today. Today,
0: mm-hmm. if you can
2: educate these young boys and girls with the heart for a good heart and a sense of dialogue, a sense of the spirit of peace, dialogue. Inclusivity rather than exclusivity. If this is what we can educate these young boys and girls, from these young boys and girls, all these leaders of the future after 50 years, they are young boys and girls today. So they will bring a very different world, world of peace, world of proper order, world of dialogue, world of inclusivity, and the world of happiness for all. All these billions and trillions of dollars spent on the warfare can all be diverted to the education, health, towards the, say, the welcome of the people, society's welfare. So this is how this is the meaning of the civilization.
1: I'm sure that you're loving this episode because had you not been loving it, then you wouldn't be listening to me right now. Um, you've been listening to this episode right from the start, from the beginning to the end. So I know that you're loving it, okay? Um, thank you so much. Truly really means a lot. And um, I hope that with this podcast, with Waking Up Closer to Tibet, we're able to give you a different perspective about uh, the Tibetan culture, our way of life, and and our narrative. Because that's the whole objective of the show, to showcase um, our lens, you know, Tibet from, from a Tibetan's perspective. Um, and uh, perhaps... Um, this show helps you get closer to Tibet. It surely has um, made me feel like I know Tibet a little more now um, because with every conversation, with every interview that I have with someone that I truly look up to, I mean, however they contribute to learning about uh, Tibetan culture, Tibetan lifestyle, Tibetan Buddhism, everything that makes us who we are, uh, you know, through these interviews, I have really felt that way uh, myself. And I'm, and I'm hopeful that uh, you have felt that too. Thank you so much. We will continue our conversation with Dorji Damdul in our next episode. Until then, take good care of yourselves. And um, yes, please don't forget to tune in because that's the most important thing. I'll see you in the next episode. If you liked this episode, then please support this podcast by sharing it with your loved ones. You can give me a shout out and mention me in your Instagram stories and posts. My Instagram handle is penzin.chidin.24. That is T-E-N-Z-I-N dot C-H-O-D-O-N dot 24. To stay updated about Waking Up Closure to Tibet podcast, don't forget to follow... HD Smartcast on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. To listen to more podcasts, log on to hdsmartcast.com or Suno This was an HD Smartcast original. HD Smartcast.